Welcome to the Cincuenta Podcast. My name is Laura Solis, and I, along with my co-host, Sal Olguin, will be talking to our guests about countless stories of success, leadership, courage, and inspiration. We will talk to leaders, mentors, educators, and other unsung heroes who have played a tremendous role not only in our own lives, but also have had incredible impact in the lives of many others. And Cubo Laura, I'm so excited to be here with you. We're finally getting off the ground with our first episode. Muchas gracias. First, let me thank you for coming at me and asking me to join you on this journey. It's been over a year, almost a year and a half now that we've been trying to put this together. Y muchas gracias por tener esa semillita, that little seed that has grown to 50, our new podcast. So Laura, what prompted you? What gave birth to this notion of a podcast? I've come to accept that the sharing of stories is part of my DNA and the very blueprint of my Mexicana soul. My childhood and my youth were steeped in this sharing of family lore and legend. It was the thing that I loved most about growing up, listening to my tias, my abuelitas, my padrinos, my madrinas. They were keepers of secrets and tales, and this was our history that they were passing on. So I've always been more than a little fascinated with this powerful tradition of oral history. Yep. It's passed down through generations, and I think the Cincuenta podcast is just a natural extension of that, dare I say, obsession of mine. Many of us have had that experience, too, as, as Latinos, growing up and hearing stories of our abuelitos and abuelitas and how they grew up. Uh, I think I shared with you before, I had this image of my grandpa, you know, when I asked him, cuando, cuando vino de Mexico, como vino? And he said, pues vine de pecho. And I had this image as a little kid that he was crawling on the ground. But no, he was about a year and a half and he was still nursing. So todavía le daban pecho. And that's one of the most funniest stories I remember my grandpa sharing with our family. And we would always laugh. And my aunts in particular laughed at me, not with me, when I realized what my grandpa was sharing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so Laura, when you thought about this idea of a podcast, what did you do to make that come to reality? Uh, how did you get us from that idea to where we are now? I love that saying that luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So for me, the opportune moment was when I spoke to a trusted friend, actually a mutual friend uh, and colleague of ours, Dr. Rebecca Andrade, who happens to also, like me, be very interested in creative outlets. And she proved to be a great thought partner in the development of the idea for this podcast. And I remember, actually, she said to me, we can be edupreneurs. And that was her way of meshing or blending educators by day and entrepreneurs by night, I guess. Anyway, I think originally we just wanted to bring stories of people in our own network and professional circles whom we knew to be incredibly successful, particularly in education leadership, who were unbelievably inspiring and courageous and yet had only privately shared their moments of struggle and how they had overcome tremendous hurdles to gain success. Do you remember the first time I talked to you about this crazy idea? Yes, I do remember, Laura. How can I forget? We had just gotten through the Council Mentoring Program presentation. I was asked to be a, a guest speaker. Dr. Juan Santos, the new, he was relatively new director of that program at the time, invited me. And mm -hmm. I shared my story, how I grew up, where I grew up, where, you know, I went to college and how when I got there, I was pretty sure I, I was going to fail. I wasn't sure that I'd belong there and uh, how I went to law school. And now I'm a partner in a law firm representing school districts throughout California. And at the end of that, you, Dr. Terry Walker and Ophelia LaRiviere, you said, Sal, have you ever thought of having mm. a podcast? I said, that's loca. <laughs> yeah, I remember mm. that. And you know what? It, it was flattering, I think. Mm -hmm. You validated me for what I had shared. 
Well, first of all, you, you didn't even know what was going on in my head when I listened to your wonderful story, because while this idea of the podcast was brewing in my mind, you know, I had always regarded you as, you know, I would never say like a stuffy lawyer, because I knew you a little bit better than that. But certainly, you were always so reserved and serious. And I only knew you from attending your workshops on education law and your work with school board. And so when I heard you tell your story so authentically and so genuinely, that kind of resonated with me. And I thought that you would be a great co-host, the third partner. And so when I asked you that fateful day, would you ever consider having a podcast? And you said, are you crazy? No one would, what? Like, I don't even have time. I don't, I don't know. You, you had a million excuses. Yet Terry and Ophelia actually said to you, no, Sal, we would listen, right? And I, and I don't know if that stuck with you because about a month later or so, we saw each other at um, another CASA event. You said to me, I'll give you a minute to pitch me the idea. And I took it, a minute became two minutes, then three. And I could see the wheels turning in your head a little bit. It became clear that yes, you were in if we didn't put you in that little corner, which is the legal side which is kind of what we had thought would be the fit. And we were actually absolutely thrilled when you said, no, I need and crave the creative aspect. Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. I was going to say, you know, and, and even at that point, I, I still wasn't convinced. I was, I was willing to explore and mm -hmm. I didn't know you, Puerto Rico. I had, I had not worked with you all before. I had known both of you as what I would consider serious members of CALSA who attend the conferences, who go to the professional development, who have very, um, you all, both of you are very intelligent women and dedicated to your profession and dedicated to the communities and children you serve. It's like, how can I not want to work with you? I'm just motivated by that. Mm -hmm. But was our personality going to jive? Were, right. were we going to be able to work cooperatively, collaboratively, you know? Could I feel comfortable being myself and not Sal, the attorney that you knew, but? We had a little glimpse of what it might be like because we met how oh, long we, ago before well, that? Sorry, I knew we could. 15, 16 years ago. <laughs> we, we Do you met. remember how we met? Oh, yes, yes. You know, we were, again, CALSA <laughs> is the CALSA. Orga organization that, that brought us together. Kind of like and what is CALSA, by the way? Have we said what CALSA is? No, I don't think we have. CALSA is the California Association of Latino Superintendents and Administrators. Mm -hmm. They are an organization that were was originally the Hispanic Superintendents Association in the late 80s, early 90s, and it transformed into CALSA. They are a group of dedicated educators serving Latino students and their, their communities, and they aspire to uh, bring excellence to education and mm -hmm. they do it through a number of programs and services and they're best known I think for their mentoring program that was established through Dr. Ken Magdaleno's doctoral studies. Talk about his story. He changed careers Ooh. and I think he went mm -hmm. back to college when he was 38. So talk about an inspiring story. Mm -hmm. No, There's no one way to becoming a uh, successful in a career or in a profession. There's many ways there, many journeys, and each one is so rich and mm -hmm. diverse. But but back to how we <laughs> met, you know, we there was a group of us oh, that wanted man. to go to dinner and we carpooled. And I say carpooled, <laughs> pero parecíamos payasos del circo. I, I happened to have had a an SUV at the time and I man. think we piled in, you know, it's probably 12 people, but it felt like 17, <laughs> 18 people. And I mean, we had you and we had Dr. <laughs> David Gomez, Paul Loya, but oh anyway, my God, the, the we Pomona, were the, the, Mexican the, the, Pomona <laughs> the Pomona posse, you and your girlfriends from Pomona. That's and, right. Shout out, shout out to all my Pomona peeps. And I think we wound yep. up going to Sevilla's for dinner that night. And we, we drove oh, there and everybody was happy and dancing in my car. I, I, I'm surprised. You were the lawyer, the lawyer with the DJ skills. Oh my God. That's you were, right. You were playing some great music. Yeah. That night. 
Yeah. So that's how I knew you. Right. And by the way, I, I wasn't afraid of at the, at the thought of you getting pulled over. Because <laughs> you, you weren't driving. There were like three lawyers. <laughs> there were probably three lawyers, three superintendents, yeah, I, three principals, three directors. I, Man. I have not a care. And oh, I don't know if you remember, but when we got back, the valet was holding the door open. He goes, how many more of you are, are in there? Oh, my gosh. But and we got a little sidetracked because, you know, I, I, I mentioned I, I still wasn't convinced. Mm. And I needed to know how we were going to work together. And mm -hmm. I knew Richard Tower through my work with him as a former assistant super of HR and superintendent. He did a lot of professional development with groups and boards and cabinets mm -hmm. on personality assessments so that your group can work well together. I was thankful that I could reach out to him and ask him if he could work with us as a group, first as the three of us, and then I don't think we've shared, but but much uh, success to Rebecca. She became superintendent of Salina City School District, and we cannot be more proud for her, this new chapter in her life. We knew that this was her next challenge and her next opportunity, and we send her much love and light her way. We yeah. uh, know that she is where she needs to be, making a difference. Es un capítulo so, nuevo de su vida. Yeah, un capítulo yes. nuevo de su vida. Yes. Y le deseamos lo mejor. And she knows. She knows she's going to be a, a guest of ours. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure she she lands and plants her feet well. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I have no doubt she will do her best for that community. What do you remember most about that experience of working with Richard, of gelling together, maybe first as the three of us and then and then just you and I? Well, the first time when there were the, when it was the three of us, I was very good friends with Rebecca. I just remember that particular process for me was was difficult because you were a new energy. And so this idea that to have to be so introspective and to figure out, oh my gosh, how are we going to interact with each other? How do we play well with each other? And how do we um, disagree? And how do we play up to each other's strengths and support each other in moments of weakness. And it was a matter of being very real with each other and sharing very personal parts of our stories with each other. And that vulnerability was not easy, but it was also required because we were going to be asking our guests to do the very same thing. In order to ask for that vulnerability and that courage that we needed to get comfortable with ourselves in telling that, that story. So that part was difficult, but Richard did a masterful job, really was there to hold our hands and kind of lift us up when we needed to in order to get to the other side, which was complete trust in each other. Did you feel the same? Um, I, I did, you know, and, and again, with uncertainty, I came into it, but I was open-minded. I mm -hmm. wanted to make sure that the, the two of you not only had the heart, I knew you had the heart for the project, but were you going to be able to work well? Um, I, mm -hmm. I had limits uh, and, I, and I've, ex I've shared those with you. And at that time, I was um, dealing with uh, a change in my life that I needed to mm -hmm. focus on. And the timing wasn't quite right. I knew it would be a project that I would have to work slow and steady on. And thank mm -hmm. you for, for understanding. Mm -hmm. Once I, I felt that the two of you understood how much I could bring and that was acceptable, then I was down. I was down to do this. Richard, we just appreciate him mm -hmm. so much. Mm -hmm. And we uh, lovingly refer to him now as our padrino because mm -hmm. uh, his help was there to bless us and guide us and provide us some mentoring and mm -hmm. wisdom. And that is part of that thread that you talk mm -hmm. about that we're going to see through Cincuenta. We're not alone in this world, mm -hmm. you know, and we do have to rely on others, not just ourselves. Mm -hmm. And with uh, the help and el apoyo y la ayuda de otros, uh, mm -hmm. there's nothing we can't accomplish. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what seriously sealed the deal? And we said, yes, Sal does bring something valuable to the table. And that was your chorizo con papas. You... <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's right. <laughs> oh. I, brought, I brought breakfast to yeah, that. Uh... I was like, look at this. 
homie can cook. Yeah. <laughs> and I travel too. Yeah. I was Uber Eats before Uber Eats. Right? <laughs> oh, wait, wait. Salvador Dash. <laughs> Salvadash. Salvador. Oh, oh. Salvadash. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah. Hashtag Salvadash. <laughs> That's awesome. In all seriousness, I think that was the moment where it felt like, like familia. Yeah. Like we had, um, we were beginning to create a, a bond of respect and cariño. Mm -hmm. And then we, you and I were left to think about rebooting and moving forward. I will say it took a little bit of, of thought and Richard was able to help us with that. And, and gave us our blessing and said, yeah, you're, you're ready. Go for it, which was awesome. Ricardito. El Padrino. Talk a little bit about then what we want to bring to Cincuenta. Well, I think what you're referring to is many conversations that you and I have had around uh, the diversity of our, of our people. We are often regarded as some sort of monolith, right? We're all the same. We have the same viewpoints, same experiences, same backgrounds. And you and I are prime examples of the very opposite of that idea. I think it's important for us to yes, represent our community well, and yet we know that the diaspora is vast and important and needs to be valued. This podcast is a great medium to bring those diverse stories to life, to bring those to the masses. We have wanted to make this podcast distinctively and unapologetically Latino, Latina, Latinx, bilingual, bicultural, with strong inclinations towards uh, advancing social justice, particularly through educational leadership and mentoring for our communities of color. We know that our stories will not always cater to necessarily to pop culture or sensationalism or someone else's particular view of the zeitgeist. Right? We know that we were after and are still after authentic, heartfelt stories of those people that have touched our lives and the lives of others in our community. So this is our opportunity as we see it to carve a niche into a space that seemed at least a year and a half ago when we started talking about this, um, didn't seem to have any sort of relevancy to our own community. And so here we are. Yeah, here we are, Laura. I also believe that the podcast is going to give us an opportunity to share, if not just within our own community mm -hmm. of Latinos and Latinx people, but those from the outside of how diverse we really are. I mean, how often do or I, have we met uh, Puerto Ricanos, Dominicanos who might say, hey, they come into a particular town and they think they're Mexican just because they speak Spanish. Or if you're Mexican and you wind up going to New York City or anywhere on the East Coast, they think you're Puerto Rican because you look Latino. And mm -hmm. we can go all over the country and be confused for any number of different people. And, mm -hmm. you know, why is it that even amongst ourselves, we have some uh, strong feelings towards other Latinos from different countries? And is it true that it, it, it all depends on who's closest to the U.S. border, right? And I, I hope we can dispel some of those notions. I hope uh, for our community, we can bring a better mm -hmm. understanding of how we're probably more similar than we mm -hmm. are dissimilar. Mm -hmm. But man, you know, you you just look at people dancing salsa and they look good. You look at people dancing bachata, <laughs> they look good. Cumbia, yeah. they look good. Banda, <laughs> they look good. I mean, it just Norte, they look good. And just, just in dance alone, mm -hmm. in our music alone, Mm -hmm. uh, we all enjoy it. We can all understand it. Maybe you can't understand all the reggaeton, you know, but um, like rap too, you know, you grew <laughs> up listening to hip hop. That's part of your community. And before Run DMC, you could understand the lyrics, right? Some people say that's yeah. a real rap, you know, back to rappers is a light. But now some of the guys you can't even understand. We, we talked about the Latino experience being so mm -hmm. diverse, but I think I also want to emphasize that it's not just a, a podcast about Latinos and Latino stories. I think it's about people who influence our Latino community and our experience, mm -hmm. like Michelle Brodnax. Michelle, who is the CEO of Los Angeles Education Partnership. 
She is a wonderful friend and such an inspiration and is there in the fight for justice and to do away with systemic inequity. Again, fighting the good fight to bring educational opportunities and access to communities of color. So no, no, we've we've already done a few episodes before recording this one. Mm-hmm. I think we wanted to get mm-hmm. us uh, the flavor, the sabor. How has it turned out so far for you? Is it what you expected? I don't know that expected is the right word. I didn't know what to expect. And I, and I think, too, Sal, I would say that's what I would want for our audience. I I never want to say that I have expectations about this podcast. I do have hope plus commitment, right? I have I have hope that somewhere in those stories, our listeners will see themselves somehow reflected back. Again, just, just bring them joy, laughter, maybe we'll even cry together, right? Because already in some of the interviews that we've done, that has happened. We have tears. They're very emotionally impactful stories. Very touching. Little did we know that some of these people mm. we've, we've come to learn and admire and have suffered very traumatic mm-hmm. experiences as young children. And mm-hmm. it's awesome what some of these people have managed to do. Mm-hmm. And I I can't wait to share those stories Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with our listeners. And I think that storytelling ultimately is a way of expressing love, right? Those guests that will be featured in our very first episodes, maybe they are not necessarily well known to everyone, but certainly we made a very personal decision to interview those folks that we love, right? That have shown their support of us. And I hope that that love that we have for them will shine through. And the feelings are countless because it's, mm-hmm. it, yeah, I agree it's love, mm-hmm. but it's respect, a sense of orgullo, mm-hmm. pride, you know, in knowing some mm-hmm. of these people and the fact that they've contributed in so many ways, maybe you know, you don't see them on a national level. Maybe you don't see them at a statewide level, but even in their small community, if it's just in one school where they're contributing and leaving a legacy behind, that's an impact. And that's the true mark of importance. Right. If we can show how it's, how it's affecting and improving our Latino communities, our even barrio by barrio, Mm -hmm. then that's, those are the stories that we need to tell. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think mainstream media cares or is going to share those kinds of stories they'd rather sensationalize something else and not mm-hmm. really give us a chance. Right. You came up with the name Cincuenta for us and it's a very personal story. Do you want to share that with us right now? Sure. Um, and, and I feel so, so honored that I was able to share this idea, but thanks to my dad and to uh, a riddle he shared with me when I was little. I think I was about six, maybe seven years old, and we were in New Mexico. And at night in the, the New Mexico skyline, you see a lot of stars. And I think he noticed I was looking up and just checking them out. And he, he asked me, he goes, ¿Cuántas estrellas hay en el cielo? Like, how many stars in the sky? And there I go. I start pointing at him, trying to count. And I'm like, I'm never going to be done. I go, I don't know. And he looks at me and he goes, 50. I'm like, 50? Oh, maybe 50 stars on the U.S. flag, but there's not 50 stars in the sky. And he goes, no, 50 porque no se pueden contar. There are so many of them. When we sat down and we worked through what the concept was going to be, I don't know, that just came to mind. And I... That's a perfect name. Yeah, yeah. For what we're trying to do, most definitely. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. for me, it's it's also a way to have my dad close to me. I lost him uh, mm-hmm. over two years ago and he's he's so close so mm-hmm. he's definitely is close to you and he did a good job raising you so oh you know what my mom would disagree <laughs> would, and, and I would disagree too boy it was my mom my, my, my mom is a little four foot 13 inch tall lady who uh, I think um, she's she's the one who wrangled me and kept me in a straight line. And my dad was just that uh, that anchor, that foundation, mm-hmm. that support that we could 
rely on, pero mi mamá era la del chicote del mando allí, and she kept me in line, you know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, I love her for that. But no, I can't leave my mama out. Come <laughs> no. on now. No, después no, me pega. <laughs> después te pega. Thank goodness for our parents, no? Most definitely. Most mm -hmm. definitely. They've all had something to share. Mm -hmm. They've all had lots of influences in our lives mm -hmm. and they saw opportunity. You know, I think about my father too, Sal. The sacrifice, el sacrificio for his father as well. My grandfather was a bracero. He was working in agriculture. My father followed him when he was, I want to say he was about 18 or 19 years old and always dreamed of, not of necessarily of moving back to Mexico, but certainly wanted to marry his childhood sweetheart. So he and my mom were elementary school students together. He always says that was the love of my life. She was always the apple of my eye. My yeah. mother says she barely remembers him. <laughs> <laughs> but he came back and asked for her hand in marriage all these years later. And right. they made it work and with great, great sacrifice. So I join you in, you know, I, I still have both of my, right, yeah. in, in, in their, yeah. their sacrificio, their legacy, their hopes and dreams for their children. I think of your dad and his moment that he shared with you, Cincuenta, and I think how that is going to hopefully resonate with our audience. Yeah, it, it, mm -hmm. my father had no formal education, but mm -hmm. just the, the wit right to mm -hmm. the cleverness and and my dad had some real clever sayings and consejos mm -hmm. and maybe we'll do an episode on on words of wisdom and consejos so where did you grow up i grew up in the imperial valley which is a border community just in that little area between arizona and mexico and Mexicali was my place of birth. I was only there for a few months and came to live and grow up in California. Like I said, in that desert community. Como so dicen, that's where I grew up. Yeah, como dicen algunos, ahí donde perdió el diablo los calzones, you know, because it's so hot. Um, <laughs> I've been in Imperial County in the summers uh, for work. Mm -hmm. And I get there and I tell the locals, man, it's hot. They go, ah, today's not bad. Last week is 118. Today's 113. I was like, man, how can you tell the difference? <laughs> That sounds about right. And then I came to L.A. when I was in high school. My father changed careers. He was a specialist in irrigation. Mm -hmm. Because if you know anything about uh, the Imperial Valley, puro campo. it is puro campo. And it's agribusiness. That's what reigns there. He decided that he wanted to send his children to college and wanted to give himself a different life for himself as well and decided to go into carpentry and retired as a carpenter. What about you? Where did um, you grow up? You know, native Angelino, born and raised in South Central Los Angeles. And I still call it South Central, although, you know, for political reasons after, you know, Boys in the Hood and after the Rodney King riots, we're no longer South Central, we're just South LA. If we, uh, if we want to give us uh, some orientation, I grew up about a mile and a half, almost two miles from Florence and Normandy, the epicenter of the Rodney King riots. And I went to a small elementary school until fifth grade, uh, Miramonte Elementary, and I'm very proud and I give my shout outs to Miramonte. I was a product of LA Unified School Busing System, their magnet program. I wound up going to junior high and Eagle Rock Junior High and then to Franklin High School in Highland Park. So I spent a lot of my time from fifth, sixth grade uh, on a school bus. Mm -hmm. I grew up uh, the son of an immigrant. My mom is from Guatemala. Uh, she came here essentially as a indentured servant. It's a very sad story. She met my dad. Uh, who at the time was going through a divorce and they met up in Lincoln Heights. My dad is, I'm sorry, was from New Mexico. He's the son of uh, uh, whose father got here when he was about two years old from Chihuahua, mm -hmm. Mexico. Mm -hmm. And my grandma uh, was born in New Mexico when it was territory. My grandpa, mm -hmm. it's one of those stories that, you know, he didn't cross the border, the border crossed him. Crossed him. Yeah, yeah. he became a citizen that way. Growing up in, in L.A., um, I am lucky to be bilingual, and I'm lucky to be 
uh, Mexican and Guatemalan American. Um, mm -hmm. Not not a lot of people have that um, distinction. In my neighborhood, a lot of my vecinos were from Durango. That mm -hmm. uh, I got a, a a love or highly influenced by by the Norteño groups and stuff. And I was in high school. I I was listening to Banda Machos at the time. You know what? And yeah, I cannot see you as a. Uh, yeah, no, the I was well, of... well, that among other things, because I was also a DJ. Mm -hmm. It was one of the ways I helped my parents support mm -hmm. me. Uh, we mm -hmm. were on a fixed income. My dad was retired. Earning a little extra cash was cool. And mm -hmm. that came through DJing, house parties, interesting house parties at times. Mm -hmm. But uh, I probably went to some of those oh, house parties. I don't know. <laughs> you were talking about. Miramonte, you you mean the Miramonte? Yes, I do mean uh, Miramonte Elementary. That was unfortunately, yeah, where mm -hmm. a teacher to say abuse it just minimizes what he did. It was very heinous in terms of how he treated uh, students, what he did to them, the impact it had on our community. And here I was, you know, a, a grown man, thirty something, early forties, and talking to some of my uh, friends. Mm -hmm. that went to school and we're asking each other, hey, did you know that teacher? Was he your teacher? Uh, a friend of mine says, my little sisters wound up having him. And so just stories, just images go through your head about what could have, may have happened. Mm -hmm. And it could not have happened to a more impoverished community. Uh, I, mm -hmm. I know that we have a large number of immigrants in, in my neighborhood now more than when I was there, mm -hmm. when I was there. I almost want to say we were evenly split African-American and Latino. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that, that was very, uh, a, a rich, uh, experience mm -hmm. at that time. But now with, uh, so many, uh, immigrantes indocumentados mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. are afraid to speak up about things mm -hmm. that are not right. That may have quieted, uh, some people from coming forward, but yeah, that is the Miramonte that I, I speak mm -hmm. of. Mm -hmm. uh, my mom was actually a noon duty uh, aide there. Uh, Doña Marta, mm -hmm. as the kids call her, and on Halloween, they uh, <laughs> she, she loves passing out candies. And uh, I like to go watch, and these grown people come by with their kids, mm -hmm. and they're yelling, Doña Marta, Doña Marta, you know. <laughs> and then they tell their wives, you know, esa señora nos daba de comer. Oh, you know? and, and well, my, my mom was a cafeteria worker. Yeah. It wasn't that my mom was feeding them. <laughs> but you hear these grown men t telling their wives or girlfriend, esa señora nos daba de comer. So mm -hmm. that's... Well, I was going to say your experience was probably unlike mine, but I had to ride the school bus because I actually grew up in a very rural area, as I said. And I went to a school uh, from kinder through grade eight, I think only a hundred students. Okay. My parents did not send us to the school in town. Shout out to Holtville, California. I think it's the carrot capital of the world. Population of like a couple thousand. And yet my, my father wanted the best education for us and sent us to this small school. And where was the school? Like what was it called? Pine School, Pine Elementary School. Little school, little name. Little school, graduating class, Sal, eighth grade of 12. And the two, two of my very good friends to this day, they know all my secrets, they know all my joys, they know all my, all my stuff. Leticia and Marianne, I met them in kindergarten. Oh my goodness. I have fond memories and not so fond of having to ride the bus for like an hour because you could imagine if you are in a rural community, it takes forever to round up all the kids, get them on the bus and, you know, take them to the tiny little school of, you know, 12 in your grade well we so, we we wow. used to commute I think it was like 16 miles from my house to Franklin mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I was on the bus for about an hour and a half just mm -hmm. to make it through through mm -hmm. LA and boy mm -hmm. I, I became familiar with back streets going through LA we would go through you know Chinatown through you know Union Pico wow. Union area um the Harbor Freeway with the little quick on-ramps, off-ramps that some of the substitute bus drivers knew how to take. It was cool, mm -hmm. you know. And and then mm -hmm. I played sports uh, my freshman year mm -hmm. in uh, in junior high. Was uh, I was on a on a 
junior high and high school campus. So mm -hmm. my freshman year, I, I would take the late bus after practice mm -hmm. and had some really good conversations with uh, some of these bus drivers. And I, I remember one of the uh, inspiring words of wisdom were shared with me by a, a bus driver. And we were talking about going to college. He was asking me what activities I was working on. And I, he goes, man, he goes, you, you got it going on. He goes, shoot for the moon. Because if you come up short, you're still among the stars. And I said, damn, that's, that was deep, you know? And because um, and, and he knew. He knew, he knew I was coming from the hood. And he's like, man, you deal with these people over here? And it's good, man. You're out of trouble. Stay out of trouble. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? We grew up in two completely different uh, environments. And yet here we are, Cincuenta Podcast, talking about our childhood and going down memory lane. So and what is your what so is your day job, Lara? What what do you do my, by day? By Podcast day, by night. I work for a school district in Los Angeles County. I am a director of special projects for the Learning Support Services Division. How long have you been in education? Twenty five years plus. I started out actually not as a teaching major. I was a business major at Cal Poly Pomona, and I had a part-time job, and that was to be a college intern tutor is what they called it. What that meant was I would support students in what were formerly known as bilingual classrooms. It was a wonderful community of teachers that embraced me and saw something in me and encouraged me to think about going into teaching those teachers at Barfield Elementary and Pomona Unified, really, I, I owe a lot to them for changing my mind and particularly to a um, mentor of mine, Terry Mora, who was the principal of Barfield at the time and who challenged me. I never looked back. I changed my major and went into teaching. She hired me. I still adore this woman. She meant so much to me in my early years in my career and continued to push me to become a teacher specialist, a reading coach, and then an administrator. Yeah, isn't it amazing how someone sees something in you that you can't even see in yourself? And it just propels you absolutely in, in, in ways that uh, we can't imagine. And that's, I think, the difference between a mentor and a, a sponsor or a mentor or a champion. I think Terry Mora to me was, yes, a mentor, but she went beyond that. She sometimes went out on a limb to support very vocally at times people that she believed in. Her reputation preceded her. She was a woman of her word, still is, and talked the talk, walked the walk. And I learned a lot from her. I think part of that through line that you'll hear in this podcast is the value of mentoring. Who was your mentor? Oh, goodness. I, you know, I, I think it would have to start with my college counselor, uh, Mr. Mm -hmm. Jack Wright. He is one of our first guests. Simply put, I, I don't think I would be where I am if it had not been for his guidance. I don't know what he saw in me uh, that said, this kid's got to go to a summer program in Andover, Massachusetts. And I don't know what he saw in me when he told me I needed to apply to Ivy League schools. When I, I remember thinking, this man is crazy. Why is he bugging me so much? He was sure that I'd be accepted to the UC systems and to USC and my alma mater, Stanford. And I couldn't see that. You know, where I grew up, this stuff doesn't happen to us. I knew my, my teachers had to have gone to college, but I thought of that. That only happens to teachers. That doesn't happen to me. I'm the first in my family to go to college, first to go to law school. You know, I, I didn't know what to major in, but I thought political science would be cool. And then <laughs> I had an interest in bilingual education because mm -hmm. I came up traditionally in the English track. My brother, who is younger than I am, we have the same last name, same parents, same family. He comes up in an ESL program and I'm not understanding that. So my interest in political science led me to uh, taking some bilingual ed classes and working on educational policy. And I thought maybe I'd become a teacher. And here I am. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm an attorney now representing school districts. 
Did your parents ever talk to you about what you could become, should become? You Did know, they want you to go to college? I don't remember having profound conversations with my parents where we had a plan. All I know is my mom knew I needed to go to school and graduate from high school. I think uh, in her mind, pa que saques una carrera, but not understanding that a career requires a college education. Truth be told, I don't think my parents understood the significance of attending Stanford University mm -hmm. until I was a, a junior year in college. And mm -hmm. they happened to see a program where Stanford was featured as a research facility mm -hmm. and some professor was there and they showed the kids riding bikes. And my, my mom said they were there glued to the TV wondering if I'd go by, right? Aww. And then my, <laughs> my senior year, uh, some young lady named Chelsea Clinton was accepted to Stanford. Well, and yeah. my, my parents then, my mom particularly, uh, to say, mi hijo asistió a una universidad digna de la hija del presidente, mm -hmm. you know, worthy of the president's daughter. That's where mm -hmm. my son went to school. It's like, wow, you know, uh, that's the humility that my family had in terms of what it is to go to college. And mm -hmm. so not knowing what, what was needed, my college counselor was there to fill in those gaps to get me through the door, to mm -hmm. give me that opportunity. As you and I have talked about this podcast, these are the kinds of stories I want to share, not just with grownups like me and you. Are We've, we've made our, our life, uh, and maybe grownups like us can still learn and, and improve, but I want to reach out to younger masses for them mm -hmm. to hear your story. I loved your story. You went in as a business major and then mm -hmm. completely changed, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. we, we don't have to go to college knowing where we're going to come out. I mean, mm -hmm. I went I went in thinking I wanted to be a teacher because I wanted to give back. Mm -hmm. uh, I was I, the opposite. I was yeah. the opposite. In my family, I actually actively fought against the idea of becoming a teacher because on my mother's side, her father was a teacher. His father was a teacher. His father's father was a teacher. You know, they went all the way back. I think my grandmother used to call it La, Maf La Mafia del Gis. Oh my God. The Chalk and Mafia. That's right. The Chalk Mafia. And so that was something that I thought, oh, you know, I just, I don't, I don't really want to do that. I want to break the chain. <laughs> and, and you know what? And yet, you, ironically, yeah. here I am. Laura, we've We've agreed we were going to ask all of our guests, what are they the first at? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to point that question right back at you. What are you the first at? I was going to say I'm the first podcast host, but I'm not. That would be my brother, Javier. Yeah, and and, and you know what? Uh, my... Many thanks to Javier. Oh, that's right. Your brother, we, we, we've got to thank him mm -hmm. uh, for being our technical advisor and, and technical producer uh, and editor. It's you a know, family affair, our resident is. artist who we're so excited about Aaron Silva's art going out into the world. Both of us are just thrilled and I'm pinching myself at how lucky we were to have found um, my nephew, Aaron, who is studying art at Cal State Long Beach. He's graduating in, in December of this year. And oh my gosh, his art is beautiful and we're incredibly proud and excited about the, the artwork that we will feature in social media. And Absolutely. And, and, and you know what? I think this is part of what Cincuenta is. We're not just telling stories at the end of the, the road, if you will, when people are, are nearing their horizon of retirement or whatnot. But this mm -hmm. is his beginning, you know? Yeah. And how many opportunities will he have? Cincuenta. May he have mm -hmm. many opportunities, countless opportunities. And he is so talented mm -hmm. and gifted. And we are blessed. And, and literally, mm -hmm. I mean, blessed. Uh, thanks to your brother, Javi, who's a pastor, who, mm -hmm. um, you know, did not allow us to launch without a blessing over our, mm -hmm. our podcast. Mm -hmm. And, and we, we take that with us. Mm -hmm. I take that with me seriously uh, mm -hmm. through each and every recording. So uh, mm -hmm. thanks. Thanks to them both. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what I'm the, oh, man, I don't know what I'm the first at anymore. Okay, I will say just because I cannot think of anything else. I'm the first in my family to enroll in a university in Europe twice. Where? Universidad de Salamanca in España. And Salamanca. Un, no, Salamanca. Salamanca. No. no? <laughs> El teteo es con la. No, con C. la zeta. <laughs> 
Sí, es con la... Con la Z. Anyway, anyway. Con el zapateado. And then the second time, they were both summer courses, by the way, for educators. Okay, And I think we messed that up. I think we messed that up. No, no, I, I loved it. I no, loved no, it. We're going to keep it. You just like your it. idea okay. of perfectionism. Anyway, the, so the first was in 2001, like what a year, right? The summer that I was there, I think about two weeks after I returned was the fateful September uh, 11th. Yeah. So that was pretty Scary. impactful. Yeah. Yeah. And then the second time I went back in 2012 and I enrolled in the University of Deusto in Bilbao, which is in Northern España. So That's awesome. Yes. Wow, to you know, to go from not knowing what your major was to studying in Spain—that's <laughs> amazing. Anyway, what are you the first at? I'm the first in my extended family to go to college. Mm. In what a college you went to? Yeah, I did. What year did you graduate? Uh, class of '96. Are you the first ballet folklorico <laughs> dancer in, in my in, family? In your family? Uh, I think so. Um, mm. Wait, way to way to work that in there, Laura. <laughs> Yes, I, I danced ballet folklorico while I was at Stanford, and I can don't you still do the zapateado? And I, the... I probably can for about 10 seconds, and then I have a heart attack. <laughs> But no, oh, it, yeah. it was a very rich experience. I I never thought I'd be a dancer. Come on, really? You know, mm -hmm. um, I I thought being a being an Eagle Scout was uh, something to be a little oh. embarrassed about, right? Growing up in the hood and. You're an Eagle Scout, a Boy Scout, what? <laughs> uh, and so, oh, there's another first. I was the, the first in my Boy Scout troop, Troop 413, mm -hmm. to, to be mm -hmm. an Eagle Scout. But yeah, I went to Stanford and I danced perform in the performing group for three years, mm -hmm. my sophomore, junior, and senior year. Mm -hmm. All right, Lara. So the other thing we do with our guests is our 50-second rapid-fire quick answer. Mm -hmm. Uh, challenge. Are you ready to go into our, our rapid fire oh challenge? All yeah, right. we are. Are you ready? Uh -huh. Yes. What was the first concert you attended? Menudo, 1983 or something. What was the last book that you read? A Negro and an Ofe by Danny Gardner. Hmm. Uh, favorite corrido norteño? Um, favorite corrido norteño, corrido? Oh, eh, just norteña, rancherita. Norteña, eh, I'm going to say anything by Ramon Ayala. Okay. What was the first low song you remember dancing to? <laughs> Careless Whisper, George Michael. What are you superstitious about? <laughs> superstitious? I don't think I am. But I do believe in magical thinking and the good kind of magical thinking. And there's your 50 seconds. <laughs> Why are you laughing, Laura? This was awesome. It's your idea. I know. I'm... I have to tell you, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm impressed by your rapid fire answers. You know, Menudo and George Michael. <laughs> you go, girl. Sal, are you ready for your lightning round questions? 50 seconds? No, I'm not ready. But, como digo, tone loke, let's do this. Sal, tortilla de harina o de maíz? De harina. If you were a lotería card, what would you be? Oh, man. Um, I don't know. El, el músico. El DJ. Mm. 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 What's your favorite ballet folklorico dance? Um, <laughs> La madrugada. Mm. What song makes you cry? Uh, que falta me hace mi padre. Hmm. If you could give your 17-year-old self some advice, what would it be? Be more courageous and, um, yeah, be more courageous. Okay, we're done. That's it. Did okay. You, you were yeah. rapid. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was like 48 seconds. That was hey. Hey, pretty good. Any, any closing thoughts as we move forward? Listen, this has been a long time coming. It feels good to be here finally finishing up this episode one with you, Sal. Thank you so much for coming along this, as you called it, crazy ride <laughs> with me. 
I can't think of anybody else that I would rather be doing this with. Really and truly, you're like an hermano to me and um, you're my familia. That's how I feel. So thank you for being part of Cincuenta. And I hope to continue having lots of fun with you in this endeavor of ours. So hey, thank you. No, gracias a ti. You know, I can't thank you enough for giving me a chance to step outside of my, my daily and to do something creative that I hope gives back to my community in a different way. I'm really enjoying myself. And I have to tell you, I didn't know what to expect when we started. Mm -hmm. But once we got through our first episodes that we've recorded, and I heard those heartfelt stories that are being shared, they inspired me more. Me dan the, el ánimo, the fuel mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. keep going. So, mm -hmm. you know, thank you. Un fuerte abrazo. Y hay que echarle ganas, mujer. Igualmente. Gracias, Sal. Wait, Ricky, what was the first Ricky. slow song you remember dancing to? You can turn the recording off because I already told you who mine was. I already told you. If you don't remember, hey, too bad. No, no. no. no oh. um, I think it was uh, <laughs> Let's Wait a While, Janet Jackson. <laughs> Did you hate hearing that song, Sal? No. Mm -mm. <laughs> You're reliving it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Careless whisper, though. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. And we and we won't talk about the uh, slow jams I danced to while I was a DJ. Oh, hey, while you were supposed to be DJing, sir. Well, but you didn't always at get the mecha parties. The, no, I was I wasn't <laughs> DJing at the mecha parties. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cincuenta. Please subscribe and follow us on your favorite streaming platform. Don't forget to rate and review us. Mil gracias to our supporters, advisors, and volunteers, including Javier Solis, our technical producer, engineer, and editor, Aaron Silva, our resident artist for his beautiful work on our logo and Loteria-inspired art, Norma Garcia Muro, our brand marketing and creativity advisor, Dr. Rebecca Andrade, our thought partner and colega, Richard Tower, our padrino, and specifically team building advisor and coach, as well as our countless friends and family members who have encouraged us, sacrificed time with and for us, and are the winds in our sails to see us through this journey. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at 50 underscore podcast. Esperamos que 50 haya sido de su agrado. We hope you enjoyed 50. Thank you.